This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Inflammation is a complex biological response to potential threats. But sometimes when the immune system is triggered, it fails to resolve and unwanted damage ensues. Many inflammatory diseases result from a flooding of signals to activate the immune system without adequate off signals to resolve it. Corbis Pharmaceuticals' lead candidate, Linabisum, targets the immune system off switch. The company is in late-stage testing of the experimental therapy for the rare condition systemic sclerosis. We spoke to Yuval Kohn, CEO of Corvus, about the workings of the immune system, what linabism does, and why it may have use in a broad number of chronic inflammatory and fibrotic conditions. Yuval, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk about inflammation, Corpus Pharmaceuticals, and its late-stage experimental therapy and development to treat a number of rare, chronic, and serious inflammatory and fibrotic diseases. Let's start with inflammation itself, though. From a biological perspective, what happens during the inflammation process? So, Daniel, the thing to remember is inflammation in a healthy individual is simply a weapon, a defense mechanism that our body has against infection. So imagine the last time you caught a cold, your body was infected with a cold virus, your immune system detected the presence of that virus, and it recruited immune cells to go and fight and ultimately destroy that virus. We have a variety of immune cells, otherwise known as white blood cells, in our body. They will secrete a variety of uh, chemical molecules uh, to tackle the um, virus and ultimately destroy it. And then a very important thing happened when you no longer need inflammation, it just goes away. It's a process known as the resolution of inflammation. One of the things that's problematic is there are many conditions in which inflammation is triggered but is unable to resolve. It's unable to turn itself off. When that happens, we go from the immune system being a friend to it becoming a foe, and then we find ourselves in something called a chronic inflammatory condition. And why is inflammation such a hallmark of, of so many rare and, and common diseases? I think the answer is because it's such a hallmark of our biology as humans, as mammals. It is part and parcel of how we function. It keeps us from harm, and it is such a complex system that sometimes the smallest changes in it can translate into malfunction. Again, a malfunction in this case means 
it becomes chronically inflamed. And if you think about it, every single organ in the body, every single tissue in the body can be affected and eventually harmed and sometimes destroyed by inflammation. And you're right, we are talking about probably several thousand diseases. Some of them are exceedingly rare, and some of them are the most common diseases that we know of. You're also looking at fibrotic diseases, which are, are linked to the inflammatory process. What's the relationship between fibrosis and inflammation, and what exactly is fibrosis for listeners who may not know what that term means? Fibrosis is a term uh, for scarring, and so what happens is when the immune system uh, is chronically attacking an organ in the body, those immune cells and the mediators that they secrete start to damage that organ. They literally start to break that organ apart. You may get the wound in the or lesions in the organ, or the organ may start to um, suffer from other types of damage. The result of that very often is these wounds or lesions will then scar, and you have a cycle in which you have more and more scar tissue that's deposited in that organ. That could happen, for example, in your liver or in your lungs. Um, and as organs become scarred, they lose the ability to function correctly. And ultimately, you may suffer organ loss. If the organ is sufficiently important, that could actually lead to a loss of life. The company's lead product candidate is lenabasum, which may have broad applications for treating inflammatory and fibrotic diseases. What is linobasum? It's a small oral molecule. Uh, it's unique. It's the first of its kind. And it binds to a receptor known as the CB2 receptor that's found in all cells of the immune system. In fact, it's a receptor that is induced when the immune system is activated. The easiest way to think about it is CB2 is a master switch for the immune system. When you activate it, naturally, endogenously, it takes a an active immune response and, again, resolves it into homeostasis. In other words, it turns it off so it returns back to normal. Lenabasum simply mimics a natural component in our body, a natural molecule, binds to CB2 in chronic inflammatory conditions, and then restores the immune system to the balance that it had before, to homeostasis. For people not well-versed in biology, can you explain the difference between the adaptive immune system and the innate immune system? The innate immune system, which we target, think of it as the first responder. No matter what it is that you're being affected by that triggers your immune response, this is the first system that comes to the scene and basically starts to uh, fight off uh, the infection or damage or whatnot. The adaptive immune response happens later on. In fact, it grows as we grow. And that is the ability of the immune system to remember, for example, a specific virus so that next time we're infected with it, we are able to destroy it much faster. Uh, it's also the basis, for example, of vaccination. So lenabasum is... is stimulating these receptors that, that signal the immune system that it could stop the attack. It, it can go back to to its Correct. resting Think state. of it. 
But think of it, Daniel, as our built-in all-clear signal. Once we engage with that, this highly active and destructive immune response can then calm down and restore itself to natural balance, to homeostasis. Is that a place where the innate immune system speaks to the adaptive immune system? It's especially a place of the innate immune system. Again, it's sort of a first responder. And what we see in these uh, chronic inflammatory diseases is uh, the overwhelming importance of the innate immune response. They really do have, think of it as sort of a, a fire alarm that detects the fire for the first time and it's just unable to turn itself on, off, even though the fire is long gone. There was a study published earlier this month that lenabasum is the first drug to actually stimulate a resolution of the innate response. What exactly did that study find and what's the significance of that? We have had um, a number of studies done in cells and in certain preclinical animal models that have shown the ability of our drug to target and trigger the resolution of inflammation. In other words, trigger the uh, um, active innate immune response to go back to normal. We also have had data, clinical data from clinical studies showing a change in an improvement in symptoms and biomarkers, etc. But this study is different. It's a human model. We use human volunteers and we stimulate them with a very rapid and safe localized inflammation and then in the presence of our drug of lenabis. And what you can do in a very controlled study like that is you can see almost in real time the activation of the immune response and then the resolution. And you can have positive controls, you can have negative controls. And what we showed for the first time, again, in human beings, was the ability to very fine-tuned to be able to resolve inflammation within a matter of hours. And we can track that by looking at the type of immune cells that are involved, by the type of inflammatory mediators that they secrete, um, and also by changes, for example, in the blood vessels around the site of infection. Linabasum is in clinical development for four diseases right now. The most advanced indication is systemic sclerosis. What is that? How rare is it? What's the progression of this disease? And, and how is it treated today? Systemic sclerosis is sometimes known as scleroderma. It's a more colloquial term for it. It is a rare autoimmune disease. So it's with the same family, for example, as rheumatoid arthritis, uh, except it's much more rare. And it's one of the most lethal of the systemic autoimmune diseases. I'll describe the typical patient and what happens. Like a lot of autoimmune diseases, a typical patient is a woman. In this case, she'll be middle-aged. She's typically a mom. And without any warning, her immune system will trigger itself, will activate itself. It will first attack her skin, and her skin will undergo very um, detrimental changes. She will start to deposit a lot of fibrotic tissues or scars around her fingers and extremities. She will eventually become uh, potentially disabled or unable to use her fingers and disfigured. But at the same time, the same changes are also happening in, inside her body, her internal organs, her esophagus, her heart, and oftentimes her lungs. Sadly, the 10-year prognosis of systemic sclerosis is only about 50%. In other words, 50% of these women will not survive the first decade of their disease. 
And equally sadly, there are currently no approved drugs for systemic sclerosis. Between the U.S., Europe, and Japan, what's known as the seven major markets, there are about 120,000 individuals affected with systemic sclerosis. What do we know about the drug's ability to affect a response in the disease at this point? We conducted a first-in-patient, otherwise known as a Phase two study, on 42 adults with systemic sclerosis. The study was relatively short. It was a four-month study. Double-blind placebo-controlled, of course, conducted here in the U.S. Uh, under the supervision of the FDA. And what we saw during that short amount of time were improvements in the skin, something called the modified Rodman skin score. It's sort of the gold standard of measuring progression of this disease. We also saw indication of improvements in their lungs, as well as other aspects of their disease, as well as how the patients themselves were reported that they were feeling, how the physicians thought they were feeling. And one of the most interesting and exciting aspects of that study were we took samples from their actual skin. And whether we looked at it in a test tube or under the microscope, we could measure very clearly some dramatic improvements in the biochemistry of their disease, in the type of cells that they have in the skin, immune cells that they have in the skin. And so that was very encouraging. Interestingly, that study, in fact, is now has continued since then in what's known as an open-label extension. All of the patients now, regardless of whether they had uh, the drug or placebo before, were transitioned onto the drug. Uh, and we showed in November at the American College of Rheumatology what six months of open-label extension looks like. And to our uh, delight, uh, we have now reached a point where we have a response rate in three out of four patients, um, as well as continuing to see both the primary and secondary endpoints of the study improve. So uh, we're very happy with that. And we've just launched our phase three study. It will be a year-long study in 350 patients in the U.S. as well as some uh, European countries, Japan and South Korea looking at the same types of outcomes, and we very much look forward to reporting that data sometime in 2020. You're also <laughs> looking at the drug and other indications. Can you tell me what those indications are and whether the drug does the same in, in those diseases, or does it act any differently in any of the indications? Lunabasum is being currently developed in two other autoimmune diseases. The first one is dermatomyositis. It's a disease that resemble certain aspects of systemic sclerosis, about the same number of patients, about um, 70,000 or so, for example, in the U.S. Uh, again, skin involvement as well as internal organ involvement and primarily women and with a, uh, an equally um, challenging survival uh, numbers. What we saw there, again, in a sh relatively short, relatively small first-in-patient study, was the same thing. We saw the primary outcome change um, quite significantly, uh, and that was the effect on the skin. Uh, but we also saw multiple secondary outcomes affecting other organs, other aspects of the skin, as well as how patients felt, how they could function, and how physicians perceived their progress. That study, too, is now in an open-label extension. The third autoimmune disease we're targeting 
is uh, Lupus, or SLE, and that one has just started. It's our youngest program, and we expect to have data probably sometime in 2019 or so. Last but not least, our fourth program is another rare inflammatory disease, but this time it's not autoimmune at all. In fact, it's a genetic disease known as cystic fibrosis, and I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of that disease. Uh, this is a rare disease. There are about 70,000 patients in the world. Uh, it's also sadly a terminal disease. The disease has many aspects to it, including chronic inflammation. And what we saw in a first inpatient study on 85 patients was the ability to change inflammation. It's measured by biomarkers in the lungs of these patients, which is a site of inflammation, as well as very encouraging, we saw a reduction in what's called pulmonary exacerbations. These are these flare-ups in the lungs that are triggered by the immune system. Uh, and that study, too, is now moving to a much larger study. Any reason to think lunabacin would be beneficial to treat more common autoimmune diseases like psoriasis or arthritis or Crohn's disease? Those are diseases that certainly share many of the same mechanisms and, in fact, are often treated with many of the same anti-inflammatory immunosuppressive drugs. In some of those diseases, we even have preclinical data showing uh, quite promising efficacy, for example, in rheumatoid arthritis. I think for us, the focus primarily at this stage of our company is on rare diseases in which the unmet need is especially acute. In other words, there's typically no drug approved whatsoever, and the disease is associated with a very high degree of disease burden or morbidity, uh, and sadly also associated with um, shortening of life expectation. But overall, and in a over the longer future, um, I do think there is a potential for lenabism and other members of that type of family to uh, be targeting more and more common uh, inflammatory diseases, especially autoimmune diseases that share a very similar characteristic. If all goes well, what's the timeline for commercialization, and will you be doing this on your own or working with a partner to, to market the drug? Our current timeline is we hope to be able to launch the drug as early as 2021, uh, and in terms of our uh, business development strategy, we are very committed and passionate about building a real company which means that one of the things we are, go we are going to invest in is the ability to commercialize and market lenabism, certainly in the United States, uh, and probably in many other parts of the world, although there are areas in the world in which it does make usually more sense to have a partner, just because they have very specific market dynamics or uh, the requirement is that you have a local. Yuval Cohn, CEO of Corpus Pharmaceuticals. Yuval. Thanks so much for your time today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. 
You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.